Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Go open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We are in Isaiah 35. You know, I imagine all of you at one time or another have asked the question, why? And I'm not talking about the existential, you know, why are we here? And we were going to get to that. Believe me. Why the universe exists. Uh, but have you ever wondered why God has allowed certain books of the Bible to last, to to actually be reserved, to be be, be saved from destruction. I mean, think of the, the number of books throughout history that we don't have anymore. I don't know if you know this, but there was a huge library in Alexandria, Egypt, that had all of the books of ancient history, ones that we don't even we will never see because it burned to the ground. How is it that... Why did God choose the books that he did to be preserved... And, and then also, why is it that at a certain time, a little boy found a cave that had a bunch of jars in it that confirmed that the writings that we have here were the ones that they used back after, before in the first century B.C.? Why? How did, why did God do this? What is the purpose of all this? What, is, what do they do? Why does God preserve them that way? Why are there? Why were the four gospels written down? You know. Why do we have the books of the prophets in the Old Testament? To, to tie this to our curtain series, why? Why did Isaiah write what he wrote? Why did he write it down? And I don't know about you, but I don't go about my day writing down everything I say and everything I do. Thank goodness, because. I'm not so sure I want to remember some of the things I think. But, but Isaiah is writing this down as he goes along, I imagine, or at least going back and remembering it. And then God gives him the ability to remember all the things that happened. What was God's original intent in having this book preserved for us today? I mean, I know we always want to look at the context. What was the writer's original intent? What was his context? Who was he writing to? I mean, that's important to understand to actually interpret the scriptures. But ultimately, the ultimate author of the Bible is God himself. So what is his intent in having this today? Us, the state of Indiana, on October 23rd of 2022, right here at Living Faith. Why would we be looking at Isaiah 35? What does God want from us with this? But see, in reality, we can't just stop at Isaiah. We can't even just stop at one book because each book of the Bible is not an island unto itself. Each, each book is an important part of a whole narrative, a whole story of God and his interaction with us. Now, there are other questions that we can we must ask. Obviously, 
And this might bring us to the existential question of why did God create us? Why did, why did he create the world? He, he wasn't bored. I mean, God, God, didn't, God didn't lack anything before the creation of the world. He was, before the creation of the world, he had the sons of God. We know that from, from Job, because it says, he asked Job, were you there when, when I, when I, when at creation, the sons of God shouted for joy? We know he had his heavenly host. He had them before creation. We know he had, for eternity past, he's had the Trinity. He's been in perfect relationship. He's been lacking nothing. What prompted him to create creation what was his intent in creating this amazingly beautiful world i believe that his intent in doing so was that it would be filled with his glory his beauty and his majesty we know because scripture tells us in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. But see, he, God didn't just create the sky and the heavens. No, he, he He created land and sea. He created the universe to reflect who He is. He also created a myriad of living creatures to inhabit His creation. And one of his very good creations, at least before, before we decided to go our own way, was humanity. And his purpose in creating man was so that he would have a family on earth. Think about this. He has this heavenly host. He has this heavenly family. They call, they're called the Benai Elohim, which is, I mean, is Hebrew for the sons of God. They are in heaven. They are in, in, with him in the other realm, the unseen realm. He wanted something in this realm. He wanted a family in this realm for whatever reason. And it was to reflect his glory. He created the world. And in, on the whole world, in a small area, in this one place, he created a garden. And he put man in that garden. And man's job was to care for it. And then he created Eve because Adam needed a helper. Remember that, guys. Don't take your spouses for granted. Don't take your girlfriends for granted because you need them. Believe me, I've done very well this weekend with the kids, but I need my wife back. I really do. I'm, I, I, I do. I, I, I miss her. And as all, I'm sure all our men whose, whose wives and loved ones are gone miss our spouses and our, our loved ones. But in the process of putting them in the garden, he gives them a purpose for being there. We see this in Genesis 1.27. He says, so God created man in his own image. Understand that doesn't mean we look like God because God is spirit. God doesn't have a body. What that means is that we are representatives of God here on earth. All humanity carries his image. Just some people don't believe it. And they don't reflect God very well. And some of those are people in church. But understand, 
we are, we are God's image, means we are his representatives. We are to reflect him on earth. He made a man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Yes, there are only two. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is he's given them a purpose. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Their responsibility was to spread Eden throughout the whole world. That was what they were doing. And, and because, and think about this, so where is God during this? God is with them in the garden. We know he walked with them in the cool of the day. Wherever they were, God was. God was there. And if God is there, his heavenly host is there. So the goal was to spread Eden throughout the whole world. That's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to have babies and spread the gospel, which is God's story of God. Now, the earth is to be filled. And if we go a little bit further into Isaiah, in chapter 45, we can see what God's intent was in having them fill the earth. It says, For thus says the Lord, 45.18, Who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, so God creates creation. It reflects who he is. He puts humanity in it. And his, the humanity's job is to spread through, is to inhabit the whole earth, and in that process to reflect God's glory as his image. Now, we look at the world today. There seems to be a lot of emptiness in the world. And I'm not talking in emptiness in here. I'm talking like emptiness in the expanse. There is a lot of desert in the world. There should be a picture coming up. Ah, there we go. There's a lot of desert in the world. Did you know that 33% of the world is desert? 33%. And it's growing, by the way. Why? Why, why are there deserts? Why is it so desolate in these places? And believe me, understand that even in the most desolate place, there's still life. But there are places in this world where you and I will not survive. We can't survive for very long without help. Why, why are there deserts? Why did, you know, God created the human eye. The, the, the complexity of the human eye is amazing. There's no machine that can match the, match the complexity of the human eye. If God created the human eye, then why are there so many blind people? And we know he created the human eye. Why are there so many blind people? Why do I have to wear glasses? Because right now you all look fuzzy. If I don't have mine. And I can't read. But why? If, if, if God created it and created it as good, because he said everything is good, and at the end he says it's very good, and its purpose is so I can enjoy the beauty and the majesty of God, why is it that there are so many people who are blind? Why is it, you know, God created our ears, and I'm learning to appreciate hearing much more now because I'm getting older. I love the morning to hear the birds singing. If I get up before the sun rises and I hear those birds singing, or when we were camping to hear the bugs and think about what it was like when the world was mostly 
very few humans and the bugs were everywhere. Why, why is it if, if God created the possibility for us to hear such amazing things, to hear the birds sing, to hear a concerto played by an orchestra, the beauty of music, why are there so many people who are deaf? Why are there so many people who have to have help to hear? Well, the answer is the same reason why there's deserts in the world. It's because of sin. When sin entered the world, it sent the world on a different trajectory than what God had placed, put in place. It did. Now, God knew it was going to happen, and he planned for it, but understand, that's what happened. We have deserts, we have blindness, we have deafness. Why? Because of sin. That is why. Sin integration, death, corruption, decay, futility has now come to the earth. You want to know why you're frustrated? Sin. We want to blame it on everybody else, right? We want to blame it on the world, but in reality, it's sin that has caused us to be frustrated. Paul kind of echoes this sentiment in Romans 8. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I love that that image. It is waiting. It is just waiting for us to come to Christ, to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility. Remember, when God cursed Adam, he cursed Eve, he cursed the snake, he cursed creation. Because of our sin, because of humanity's sin, Creation now is waiting in futility, subjected to it, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, which we know will happen if you read Revelation, you know what's going to happen in the end. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. See, that is, this, is, this is why God had to send Christ, had to send Jesus to the world. He had to send his only son, his only unmade son. I know we say only begotten son. It's confusing. That's not the right word. I've told you before, that's not correct. it's not a correct trans- translation of that. It says, one and only special son. He was not created, but he is the son of God. To begin the process of restoring creation back to what God originally intended. That's why when you see Jesus doing some of his miracles, when he healed the blind, he healed the deaf, he healed the lame. He is restoring creation back. And ultimately, it's going to be completely restored. Because understand, we could fix the body soul isn't fixed what good is it so he had to fix the soul he had to fix our nature last week we we looked at the wrath of god what's going to happen if we don't turn to christ it's going to be poured out on all the nations the world is going to be a desert if you read revelation you'll see the world is going to be much more deserted the 33 percent is nothing compared to what's going to happen in the end God has to remake everything. It's going to be deserted. But in our verses today, we're going to experience what's going to come after that. We're going to, we're going to 
experience the blooming of the desert. Remember I told you, even in the midst of a desert, there's still life. There are times when they'll get, for one day, they'll get a little bit of rain. And then that one little day, things will sprout out. If you happen to be there at that moment, you'll get to experience that. But the other 99% of the time, you'll never know that there is actually life with a little bit of water, what it does. But there's going to be a restoration. It's going to be taken back to what it was supposed to be. What was once a howling wasteland. You, you read in Scripture when they talk about the wasteland, when they talk about um, the desert. It's a place of wild beasts. It's a, actually the place, place of Azazel, a demon, which later gets translated into Satan. There's a, that's why at, at, at the Day of Atonement they send one goat out to Azazel and they sacrifice the other. Not to, to send the sacrifice out. The idea is we're sending the sins out to where it belongs, with all the wild animals are. It's where it's dangerous. But we're going to experience something different in the end. A place of blooming. A restoration of the Garden of Eden. So let's go to Isaiah 35. This is what Isaiah is writing. He says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. You see the contrast? We're told in Romans that Paul says that creation wastes in futility, groaning for everything to come to fruition. And here Isaiah says, the wilderness and the dry land are going to be glad. The desert shall rejoice. You see this, this humanization of these. Does, does the desert have emotions? Well, no, but it's, it's trying to get us this idea of, of it rejoicing. Of, 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 it's a personification of nature. It shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Now, you guys know what crocuses are. Those are those first flowers that pop up in your yard in the spring. It, it, I love to see them because I know spring is coming. I know it's right around the corner. Now, we may get snow the next week after that. But man, we saw the crocuses. It's, it's, it's going to happen. So that's what he says. It's going to sprout like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and jo- rejoice with joy and singing. I think of in the morning when I hear the birds. That's what it's going to be like. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Now if you remember last week, all these places which are beautiful places were destroyed because of the judgment of God. And now God is saying that I'm going to bring I'm going to bring all that back. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. This is this is a supernatural act of the grace of God. God steps into creation that is groaning. I mean, you could almost hear creation groaning today. God does is he changes all of that. What was once sterile, which was once full of thorns and thistles and and cursed because of Adam's choices and because of our continued choices will be completely changed to a spectacular, amazingly beautiful garden. I mean, isn't that what God does to us? Aren't our lives like deserts before we know him? You know, we have those moments when, when it seems like, oh, this is a great life. But the reality is it's a desert. It's dry. It's desolate. We're dreary. But it's 
God, in his grace, grows in us a lush garden, a life, and, and a beautiful song. See, salvation is not just about stopping a bad behavior. I mean, yes, we need to do that. There's, there's I don't I, I watch too many things because there's some things going on right now in some churches where they'll say, you know, you don't have to change to come to Christ. You just come to Christ and you don't have to worry about, you know, you don't have to live a good life. You don't, you don't have to be good. God accepts you how you are. No reason to change your life. Yes. You do have to, because if you encounter Christ, it should change you. You should want to change. If you don't want to change, then you've got to question whether you've really encountered Christ. But he, he steps in, and, and, and he helps us stop that bad behavior. And it's at the time when we delight in God's glory and his majesty. And, and just like a blooming desert... We get to see his glory and his majesty. And because of what God has done in our lives and what he's ultimately going to do in all creation, because of that, we must help one another seek him. We need to teach each other to go hard after God, to be dedicated and determined to grow in Christ. We need that. Because in the next verse, in verses 3 and 4, this is what God says. You know, he wants us to live confidently in his promises. It says, strengthen the weak hands. We, we, as believers, if you're strong in your faith, you need to strengthen those who are weak. And make firm the feeble knees. <laughs> that's me. I got feeble knees. But that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> he's not talking about physically. See, I think when I think of that, I think of somebody who has feeble knees. I, I, I have trouble getting down to the ground and then getting back up again. I can do it, but it hurts. So if I have feeble knees, I have a hard... If somebody spiritually has feeble knees, that means they have a hard time submitting to Christ. Submitting and surrendering. Whether it's because they just don't understand or it's because they're stubborn. And I think for me, most times it's because I'm stubborn. I don't want God to help me. I want to do it myself. Not realizing that sometimes I'm gonna have to, go to, I have to go to my knees, as much as I hate it, to get back up again, because He lifts me up. But our human weakness and our illness are a result of the fall, result of the sin that entered the world, and the sin that we can continue to perpetuate when we don't surrender to God and stop doing it. It breaks my heart. I was watching a video this morning about this. Something that's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. Where they're, they're getting involved with organizations who just teach that you don't have to change. Sorry. That's not the gospel. That's not the Jesus that I know. That's not the Jesus that the Bible talks about. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's what it says. Our bodies are weak. Usually due to injury, I've, I've run into, when I was a kid playing football, I ran into many a tree, believe it or not. I, for some reason, I could find them every time. I've messed my knees up. I've messed my back up. But disease, aging, fatigue, our bodies are, are basically, you know, we're falling apart a little bit more every day. I know this sounds depressing, doesn't it? 
But you know what? In the midst of that, I can still get up and do what I need to do because God gives me the strength. Our souls are weak. Our souls are weak because of sin. Our souls are beginning are weak at the beginning because of the sin of Adam, but our souls are also weak because of the sin that is tempting us from the world and from our own sin nature, from rebellion, from unbelief, from guilt. I mean, the fact that we're physically we're physically weak and then we're spiritually weak makes it very difficult to live in this world. But the amazing thing is that God speaks directly to our weakness. This human condition, this human situation in our sin. And what does he do? He speaks words of redemption and salvation. Yes, for now, you are going to have trouble. For now, your body is going to feel like it's falling apart. But understand, that is temporary. The body is not forever. I'm going to give you a new one. If you trust in me, if you lay your faith in me, if you surrender to me, I'm going to give you a new body. When I come back, it's going to be brand new. No more pain. You'll be able to get down and get up, no problem. No more sin. No more temptation. But you have to believe in me, which means you have to trust him. You have to say that he is who he says he is. If you believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. Then you got to live it. That's, let's go to the book of James. <laughs> Faith without works is dead. You have to show it. Not to prove it to anybody, but it should have changed you. It's through Jesus Christ that our weaknesses can be turned to strength. When I am weak, he is strong. It's through Jesus that we become strong. It's through Christ that we don't have fear. I think that's, a, that's still a problem in this world today, is fear. Why do we not have to have fear? Because Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means I'm always going to be with you and I'm always going to be helping you. I'm not going to carry you through all this. I'm not going to make your life sunshine and roses and unicorns. Your life's going to be hard, but I'm going to walk with you through it. And he says, guess what? You are to walk through it with each other. You are supposed to strengthen the weak and help those with weak knees, spiritually and physically. That's what we are to do. We are to speak God's promises to each other and strengthen each other. And if we do that, what happens? And this is what he says. He says in verse 5, because he says thus, or then, obviously, then means what? Because of this, because you're doing this, because you're strengthening each other, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. All those things I talked about that seem to be, why, does, why did this happen? Because sin. He says, but now these things are going to be changed. The tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunts of jackals, where they lay down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. See, the centerpiece of, what God, of God's transformation in this world. I mean, God's going to do amazing things to this world, to this creation. 
But I'll be honest with you. The centerpiece of it all is going to be what he does in us. What he does now in us and will ultimately do in us. See, God moves us from cursed wickedness and weakness to blessed strength. We've been cursed by our sins. We suffer and struggle with blindness, spiritual and physical, deafness, spiritual and physical, weakness, spiritual and illness, death. But what happens is, is in the midst of that, we are liberated. When we accept Christ, when we believe in him and put our trust in him and say, say in our hearts that we know he's the son of God and that he came and he died for me and that if I put my faith in him, I'm going to live for him and live with him eternally. do that we're going to be liberated from all these things because of the work that jesus christ did on the cross you know when when john the baptist was in prison john i mean jesus himself says there's there's no greater person there's never been a greater person than john the baptist and here's john in prison and, and he begins to doubt he so he sends some of his disciples to jesus And they want to know, are you, are you the one that's supposed to, are you the Messiah? Are, are you the one? Now, he is. Jesus could have easily said, yeah, go tell John yes, that I am. But what does he do? Matthew 11, here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What, what Jesus does is Jesus is reflecting back on Isaiah, 30, on Isaiah 35. I'm the Messiah because all these things are happening. And when I come to restore, this is what will happen. Now, we say, yeah, but we still have death. We still have blind. Yeah, we do because it wasn't a full restoration of all creation. He had to take care of the sin problem first. It's, it's, it's like cleaning from the inside out, you know? If you just wash the outside of a cup, but you never wash the inside of the cup, and if it's one of my coffee cups that's been sitting on my desk for about a week and a half, the outside looks great until I go to pick it up and I look inside. You've you got to clean the inside of the cup. So Jesus had to clean us here first before he cleans the rest of it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 35. He came to save us and he came to rescue us. He came to bring us freedom from sin and from ourselves. And we are transformed by him. Verse 8 says, and a highway shall be there. This is, the, this is a very popular, uh, the highway of holiness is what they call it sometimes. And it says, it shall be called a way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. 
everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. See, you and, you and I as followers of Christ have laid before us an amazing highway. Now understand, this is talking about a future time also when, when Christ comes back and he, he'll put his foot on the, on the Mount of Olives. It'll split in two. If you read prophecy, this is what happens as it happens. And he takes care of the Antichrist, takes care of everything, and then everybody comes, everybody comes to Jerusalem. But there's also this idea that this is a this is we're walking on this highway now. When you accept Christ, when you when you surrender your life to Him, you have now gotten on the on ramp to the highway of holiness. Now, under the old covenant, provisions were made for three times a year for adult males to make a pilgrimage. To Jerusalem. In Deuteronomy, it says, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. This is the time they come and they worship God. So all the adult males were to come to Jerusalem three times each year and worship in the temple. But you know what? What's happened since 70 A.D.? There's no temple. There's no temple in Jerusalem. And while many scholars believe that these verses are about Israel's return to the Holy Land, there's very much a more prophetic meaning. The way of holiness is a picture of the way of salvation that's made possible for, to us by, through Jesus Christ. It's a road that we walk on. It says, you know, it says right there, it says, you know, those that walk on it. You and I are on a journey through this life. We are walking on the way of holiness. Salvation does not fully come to us all at one time. When I accepted Christ at 12 years old, I was not made perfect at that point in time. I still had to struggle with certain things. I was still going to struggle with certain things. I had to surrender. It's a, it's a process. Very seldom, you know, when you, your first job, going to work at your first job is not a CEO of the company, unless you started the company at, at the age of 18. Chances are you're going to work down in the the lowest position, and you work your way up. When we, when we trust in Christ, when we surrender, we are walking, we're beginning the process of walking on the highway, this way of holiness. It's called sanctification. It's God changing us. And yes, there are times that I'm drifting over onto the berm, right, in my life, in my walk in Christ. And what happens when I drift over on the berm, like out here on, on one? Right? My, my car begins to sing to me. Do you know there's a place out west that actually plays America the Beautiful on that? Look it up sometime. It's pretty cool. The berm actually plays, the tires vibrate, America the Beautiful. But, uh, it's just a side note. But understand that as I drift, and, and then I get back on. See, we, we do that. That's part of life. It's part of the sanctification process. We experience life in Christ, and we grow in our walk. Paul talks about this in Philippians. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. I'm not with you, but you should still be good. That's what I try to tell my kids. I'm not home, but you should act like I'm home. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have a journey to take. This journey is the way of holiness. Walking this road is a lifestyle. It's a pattern of life. It's modeled after Jesus himself. We're following Christ. Jesus said to him in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Progress is made gradually. Sometimes it's a great amount of progress. Sometimes we just take, a, we take three steps forward and two steps back. But we're making progress, hopefully. That's the goal. Just as one time we had the bad habits that would lead us to ever greater problems and greater wickedness, now daily we present ourselves to Jesus in the service of righteousness that helps us lead us along to greater holiness. It should be. The question is, are you any different than you were a year ago? Are you closer to Christ than you were a year ago? If you aren't, then you have not been walking on the way of holiness. You've been wandering around possibly aimlessly. And believe me, we've all been there. We all do it. I'm not saying that I'm any better. Believe me. I have, I have many times I've gotten on exit one and thought and started going and thought I was at exit 45. I'm still, I haven't even hit exit two yet, you know, because I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. But the goal is to get to that place where we are no longer mourning, crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. Obviously, that's at the end of the road. That's where Zion is. That's where Christ is. The day of the Lord. We're not going to struggle with sin anymore. While we're on this road, we're going to struggle with temptation. But we can overcome that with Christ. The problem is we try to do it ourselves and we fall for the sin again. Our journey on the way of salvation will be over when we reach Zion. Like Paul, we'll be able to say, I have fought the good fight. In 2 Timothy, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on the day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. So the question is, what road are you on? Are you even on the way of holiness? Have you, have you taken an exit and all of a sudden you find yourself? I mean, I love taking exits I've never been on and exploring. You know, getting intentionally lost is kind of fun sometimes. Get to see new things. But sooner or later, we've got to get back on our journey. We've got to get back onto the way of holiness. Some of us think we're on the way of holiness, but now actually we're on the highway to hell. I know. Songs in your head, isn't it? They're lost. They think they're found. They think that they're doing the right thing, but they're lost. You know, we've been spoiled by the GPS in our phones. But the reality is we have a spiritual GPS if we would just use it. Or here, the Bible. And while I wonder at times if I can even trust my Google Maps, you've heard stories of people driving into a lake when it told them to turn right, and they turned right, and the lake was right there. It happens. But I know I can always trust God's word on the way of holiness. It's always going to lead me back to Christ. I can always trust Christ entirely. 
can't help it. When I was writing this, I couldn't help but think of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. You know, I love a curvy road with the, mountain, the hills. You know, when you get to the top and you go over and go, ooh, you know, your stomach goes, I love that. I love, you know, the fast car. I used to have a Camaro. I love to take curvy roads. But one time I ended up in a cornfield. Sometimes I just want to get to the destination and I need a straight path. Christ makes the path straight. But see, just being on the road is not good enough. I mean, if we don't walk down the road, you know, what good is it? Our justification of getting on the road must be followed by our sanctification that leads us down the road. I mean, look at your life. Are you making progress? Does your life reflect a pattern of holiness? At least somewhat. I mean, I'm not talking about perfection because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You never will be. But are, do you, are you walking towards holiness? Is that your goal? Are you becoming more like Christ? Or are you still stuck back at the rest stop? We need to get back on the road. We need to make sure that we're traveling the way of holiness. Because Zion is waiting. And it's not going to wait forever for us. There's a day when Christ is going to come back. And we don't know what that is. So we better make as much progress down this road as we can. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's follow Christ. We follow Paul, but follow Christ ultimately as we walk on this way. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.